Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Hey, friendos and Larson. Also, Cal. And welcome to Going In Raw Countout, the only pro wrestling top 10 countdown list right here on YouTube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. I'm sure there's plenty of other wrestling countdowns. I can think of several off the top of my head. How yeah, I, I, I can think of a few that I actually follow and watch as well. It's the only one right here. Huh? But this is the one that matters to me. Does. I don't know. It matters to me, Dan. I appreciate that, Cal. I really yeah. do. Oh, no, um, thank you. Anyways, you can be found right Welcome. here. <laughs> YouTube.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Uh, anywhere fine podcasts are available. Uh, we're on the Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for Wrestling Tees. We got our own merch store, friendomarket.com. Um, so last weekend, week from today, in fact, uh, we witnessed the latest chapter, one of the great rivalries in pro wrestling history uh, between Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. The first time a match between the two of those uh, excellent wrestlers has taken place right here, in here the States, baby. on American soil. In Texas. Yeah. Um, and it was quite the event. The crowd was super into it. But, of course, that got my brain to thinking other rivalries. Yeah. So that's what we're going to talk about today, uh, the top 10 pro wrestling rivalries. Uh, I mean, I guess the criteria is that it's got to be good yeah, and important. And, and, and that's pretty much it. Let's get started right I mean, here. I mean, let's, let's – and we, these rivalries are – they're all great. I mean, but we can't forget the soon-to-be rivalry between – Adam Mayhem versus Grizzly Caljack. Yeah. The feud over the... I'll be honest at this point. I'm hoping that's a pretty one-sided rivalry and fight in favor of one <laughs> But it's not on the list, unfortunately, between... Yet. Not yet. You know, we'll do a top 10 like we did in the old 10 for the win days. We'd do a list. Eh, maybe four or five years down the line, we'd revisit it. A little, yeah. So, maybe in four or five years, if Steve and I are still uh, uh, chugging away here and going in raw, yeah, who knows we can where... revisit this list. Yeah. And number one would be... Uh, Cal Jack uh, pummeling, pummeling, destroying uh, Adam Mayhem, or poor Adam Mayhem, year after year. Because at this point, I, he owes me a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, anyways, let's kick things off with number ten. Ten. Uh, Vader versus Cactus Jack. Now, this feud, this rivalry, didn't last as long as some others on this list. However, uh, as short as it was, it left a serious impact. Um, it started all the way back, 1993, uh, where uh, Cactus, uh, towards the end of 92, 93, he was feuding with Paul Orndorff, yep. uh, Vader, um, and, and that transitioned to a one-on-one program between himself and Vader. They only had a handful of matches, but really pushed this feud, this rivalry, uh, onto this list of mine, at my, my estimation is the level of pure violence it taught, brought to WCW, which far too often was cartoony. Yeah. No, I was going to say, like, watching back some of their matches, like, it, I mean, they had Harley Race involved when he yeah. came out with Van Vader, and he was taking crazy bumps. Yeah. But, yeah, dude, man, this is Cactus Jack pre-Mankind doing all the crazy spots, and he was doing this with Van Vader. Yeah, this is actually pre-Deathmatch Cactus yeah. Jack, too. Yeah. Before he went to Japan and feuded with Terry Falcon. You could, I could think of countless... Mick Foley feuds. He had a great feud, a great rivalry with The Undertaker. It lasted a bunch of years. Terry Funk, of course, you can just do a whole uh, retrospective on all their deathmatch yeah. days oh in God. Japan. Uh, uh, go on and on. Even Foley had a really good feud with Edge yeah. when he was doing Radar Superstar stuff. But for me, we take into account uh, the period of time, the context. WCW around this time was doing really over-the-top cartoonist stuff. I think it was in the same period where they yeah. had the Dooms... With the, not the Doomsday Cage, the uh, the House of Horrors cage match yeah, yeah, with yeah. the electric chair in it. Yeah. And it was so ridiculously over the top. And you have uh, Vader 
uh, fresh off uh, his most recent stint in Japan, where he was known to laying the lumber to people, working really stiff. And he was beating the hell out of Foley. Foley was dishing it back. Uh, uh, there was this one uh, bit um, where uh, uh, Vader, uh, on April 24th, uh, Harley Race peeled back the mat to ringside. Oh, and Vader powerbombed. He took that powerbomb. Cash Jack took that powerbomb On the concrete. God. And it's just like, that, he's, I'm sure Cash is thinking, this will probably be the worst bump I'll take. No. <laughs> it took many, many worse bumps. <laughs> but that's the first time you ever see something like, that I mean, at least I—that's the first time I've ever seen. At least on cable television, yeah, yeah. on cable television. I mean, I mean the level of violence uh, just there. I guess in another uh, instance, they they had a match uh, that was so brutal that Cactus Jack needed like twenty something stitches to close yeah. up his his face because he was bleeding uh. everywhere. Um, but because of that powerbomb spot, uh, he apparently uh, lost sensation in his left foot. The foot fully didn't suffer some memory loss. That's crazy. Um, so they had a, a Texas Death Match at Halloween Havoc '93. A match so violent, so brutal, that WCW said to them, you're not welcome to wrestle on pay-per-view anymore. We're banning this feud from taking place on pay-per-view because you got the, the Halloween Havoc set, which was more or less the same from 93 to like yeah. when WCW closed. Yeah. You know, and it's got the fake little wooden cutout tombstones, and it's all very quaint neighborhood Halloween. It's not the least bit scary. And you got these these guys beating the hell out of oh, each other. They're putting on a horror show out yeah, there. Yeah, totally. It's a horror movie taking yeah, place yeah. on like what should be an amusement park ride. Yeah. Um and it's 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 brutal, it's violent, um, and it's something that you never saw in WCW at the time. No. Also because of this feud, Mick Foley's missing an ear. Yeah, he got his ear ripped part off. Of his, part of his ear ripped off. So that took place the following year in Germany. Uh they were having a match. Foley did the thing where he Got his head caught in the ropes, and I guess the ropes were... Were they rubber, not rope? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. They were... They were. I think he said... Because WCW book, used rubber ropes. I think these were like, uh, he said, uh, elevator cables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Germany. And so he pulled his head out, oh. and then I guess he split the back of his ears, and then Ray, uh, Vader punched him and accidentally ripped one of his ears off. Yeah. And this view is known for just being brutal and violent. Just two big bastards just kicking the crap out of each totally, other totally and and that's something that hasn't been seen you know on cable tv ever not to this degree no yeah um and not much since uh kind of a disappointing thing that this this feud didn't carry over at all when both were in wwf yeah vader was wildly underutilized while under vince mcmahon's employ um we saw all the damage he wrought in new in all japan uh what a dominant force he was in wcw and he goes to WWF, and they don't do anything with him. No, they they barely even used him as much as they really could have. I think a lot of it was like his weight and his size, and Vince wasn't really into how Van Vader looked. No, he wanted guys that were like pure muscle. Yeah, Vince didn't. but then it's like you see Mankind, who's like the complete opposite of that, and they were able to write and utilize him to the best that he could, know. You know, best you can go. I know. It was, it's, it's odd. Uh, one of the great Haas wrestlers of all time, Vader. Yeah. Uh, widely underutilized in WWF, um, and it's a bummer because – he, apparently, he was going to have uh, the program that Shawn Michaels and Sid had in late 97, early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. That was supposed to be Vader's spot. Yep. But Vince apparently soured on Vader so much that he thought, I have a better option. I'm going to use Sid Justice. Or was he Sid? Sid he was Psycho Sid at that Psycho time. Sid. I'm he's so vascular. Sid. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's not summer. He's not going to leave us to play softball. We can count on him this time of year. But, like, those early matches with Van Vader and just Cactus oh, Jack. Oh, man, brutal. Dude, they were brutal. And, like, we were, I was watching one of the matches before we even came on here, and I'm just like, strike, I strike, know. strike, stiff, stiff. Just hard hitting. Not a whole lot of wrestling. Ow. A whole lot of just beating lot of, each other up. Just a lot of punches. Yeah, a lot of punches. Stiff. Stiff. That's the way to put it. Stiff. Number nine. Nine. Uh, Randy Savage and... Hulk Hogan, brother. Brother, brother. Um, so if we go way back to 1985, kind of the dawn of Hulkamania, you have Macho Man in WWF. He's a heel. You have Hogan, top guy, baby face. Uh, they, their, their paths crossed a little bit here and there for that WWE title. Um, but I don't remember a real long protracted feud by a stretch of the imagination. Um, uh but I think after, no, during Macho Man's uh, Intercontinental title reign, uh, this happened October 3rd, 1987, Saturday Night Main Event. Um, 
Savage turned face. Uh, Elizabeth uh, went to get Hogan uh, after uh, Honky Tonk Man uh, tried to break guitar uh, over Savage's head. She goes backstage. She brings out the Hulkster, brother. Brother, brother. What are you going to do? Dude, brother. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> that's why. Man. I'm the man. Yep. Um, brings him out to make the save. Um, and from that moment on, they were on the path to not rivals, but friends. Friends. They formed the Mega Powers. Mega Powers, yes. Uh, during their friendship, uh, Hogan helped Savage win the WWF title at WrestleMania Four when they had that tournament. Yep. Um, while uh, Hogan was off about to go film Little Holtz Bard, I think. Yeah. Um, and then they were in the main event of SummerSlam as a tag team in matching gear, red and yellow, Mega Powers. In full effect, brother. Yep. Uh, defeating Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant in the main event, and it was about six months later when it all came crashing down. Hard. Yeah. Hard. Uh, February third, nineteen eighty nine, to be exact, uh, on the show NBC primetime special here, the main event. They were in a match against the Twin Towers. Uh, my my memory is correct. Uh, Elizabeth uh, took a bump. Um, yeah, Macho Man was uh, tossed into her. Yeah. Uh, she took a bump. Uh, Hogan, uh, so distraught, uh, picks her up. Takes her to the back. Yeah. To get checked out. Yeah. Uh, leaving Savage to get destroyed by the Twin Towers. Yep. Uh, eventually, Elizabeth says, no, you have to go back out there and help my husband, mm -hmm. the Macho Man, your friend. And by the time uh, uh, Hogan got back out there, uh, Macho Man was so upset. Slap him in the face. Yep. He walked out on Hogan. Yep. And then you have that famous bit backstage. Are you, brother? I can tell by your lustful eyes. Oh, I didn't your do anything, brother. Eyes. No, your lustful eyes. Don't you touch me. Don't you touch me. <laughs> Don't, you touch me. <laughs> Don't you touch me. Don't you touch me. I didn't do anything, brother. You your lustful eyes. I didn't do anything, brother. I, you know what's funny about this feud is that uh, some of the coaches would assign certain guys to study feuds yeah. for booking purposes. Just in the future, someone want to take the role of a producer or part, be on the creative staff. Uh, so I think I wasn't assigned this, but I definitely know. I think one of the guys was assigned this whole feud and then they had to write about it and oh, come wow. back and give like, like a book report, a book report in front of everybody in the ring. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I know a little, little fun fact about the performance center because a lot of times not everybody knows their stuff. And this is one of the feuds that one of the guys had to do a little report on. Yeah. This is one of the few times in, you know, like this particular, the, 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 the Hogan era, the golden era of WWF. Yeah. Where they actually execute a really interesting well-developed long-term story is almost two years yeah this was like a two-year build yeah and that generally didn't happen especially for hogan around that time they'd cycle heels yeah through for him yeah in a fairly regular clip yep um because it was you know wrestlemania one of course around the time he was tuning with piper and then after that it was he had a feud with orndorff um king kong bundy of course andre the giant um, and it wasn't really till this Hogan's uh, Macho Man storyline, the Mega Power storyline, where they said, "Okay, here's an opportunity to take our two top guys, um, put them in a program together, first as partners, later as as foes, and maybe make some money out of it." Yeah. Um, and uh, Savage got one of Hogan's better matches. Well, it was like seventy five percent a pretty good match. Yeah. At WrestleMania five, um, where the first two thirds or three quarters of it. Was your was a good Macho Man match, and then the last quarter. Guess what? Yeah. What you gonna do, brother? Yep. <laughs> Hulk out. Hulk. Yeah. Hulk out. Finger point. You. You punches, punches, punches. Boot. Leg drop. Hogan wins. Yep. Um, reclaiming the WWF title. Um, I guess kind of parallel to a lot of this stuff happening. Uh, Hogan and Savage were friends behind the scenes until 1992. When Hogan, or sorry, uh, Macho Man and Elizabeth were uh, getting divorced, marriage and then was falling apart. Elizabeth was hanging over at a Hulkster's house with his wife, and Mach or Hulk would lie about her chilling over there, kind of airing out dirty laundry about Macho Man mm -hmm. and Macho Man's personality. From what I've heard from one of the coaches, Steve Kern, who was Skinner, who was very good friends with Macho Man, said that he would obsess over a lot of these type of things. So, from what he told me, that Macho Man had a hard time getting over Elizabeth because she, you know, was there not dirty laundry about him yeah. to the Hulkster, and he was lying that he had nothing to do with it. So therefore, they had real heat between real heat themselves. Brother. But apparently, I guess they managed to patch that all up after Hogan went to WCW. Yep. Um, he brought Macho Man in as well. Uh, at first, they were uh, uh, friends, partners on screen until Hogan swerved the world, brother, and joined yep. the NWO. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, that didn't last very long. I mean, they had a brief feud, but then, of course, Macho Man, for some inexplicable reason, joined the NWO too. <laughs> hey, I might as well, you know, join this team. Going where the going's good, brother. Oh yeah. So, uh, but even you know, even till uh, the the day, uh, I guess, briefly before Macho Man, of course, this is according to Hogan. Um, they had some sort of falling out, but then Hogan tells a story of how he was getting some sort of physical for the doctor or for something, maybe a movie he was doing. I don't yeah. know what the hell it was. Again, it's Hogan. It's take with a great salt. Yeah. Um, and he's, a, he's a fairy tale teller. He's been known to, 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 to spin some yarns. Yeah. Uh, so he's sitting there in the doctor's office, if I remember correctly. He says, Macho Man comes in because he's getting a physical ton for something. They have a conversation. They patch things up. Um just, you know, like a matter of a few months or so, seemingly before Macho Man uh, unfortunately passed, passed away. away in the Jeep car accident. Yeah. yeah. Dude, it's crazy. You know, it's funny. Like, that whole feud and stuff, that's something that at least I'll take from the Performance Center that, like, I really appreciate was, I don't think they do this now, but Bill DeMott would have us do reports and study guys and feuds mm-hmm. just so that we have an idea on, like, how creative works so that how they do long-term booking. And the next number that we have, they definitely did a lot of long-term yes. booking. And yes. you could see where, like, these two guys are just students of the game. So Totally. But yeah, uh, long-term booking. We had to study this stuff and perform. So we're not just learning moves and our character. Got to know a little history. That's cool. I'll, that's cool. Let's, let's move on to number eight there. Yep. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Number eight, Johnny Gargano versus Tommaso Ciampa. Um, this all started back at NXT Chicago, the very first one back in May of 2017 um, after a, a defeat at the hands of Authors of Pain, the two members of DIY, Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, were up on the top of the stage, and, and Ciampa goes over to Johnny and says uh, something like, uh, you know, we've had our time, but now this is my moment. He takes Johnny. He tosses him to the LED board. Uh, he does like an air raid crash through the announce table. Uh, shocking heel turn, considering what had happened before that. Yeah. Um, the two of them being brought into NXT essentially on the day same, contracts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, being kind of put together as a tag team for the first Dusty Classic. Um, it seemingly not a lot was expected of them when they were brought in, just except just to be extra hands. And due to that, their immense talent, their uh, uh, their fabulous chemistry, and their and their charisma got over huge with the NXT crowd. And talk about two guys that aren't exactly like mega indie, dar- indie darlings, and especially how they had to follow up 
with the fallout of seeing Shinsuke Nakamura leave. You see Finn Balor leave, Kevin yeah. Owens leave, yeah. Sami Zayn leave, these like NXT pioneers. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, how is NXT going to fall with those guys leaving? You have Gargano Ciampa that came in. They had him in as a tag first. And then, you know, I mean, unfortunately, Authors of Pain aren't anything special now like yeah. they were back then with yeah, Paul Ellering. But they, they were able to create something and make it huge. And... To me, it's like this is the first real, real, real feud that NXT had ever created that hadn't do anything outside of NXT. Yeah, like yeah. With Kevin Owens, the same as Zayn had a little. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had some history. I think I don't know how much Samoa Joe and Finn Balor oh, had, I don't know either. but I do know this was organically made in NXT, and yeah. this carried NXT. Yeah. For a long time, like these two were for, NXT for pretty much all 2018. All of 2018, exactly. So. This feud to me isn't exactly like, you know, you could argue and say, yes, Macho Man and Savage might be bigger. And there's more longevity at the moment with Mankind or Catches Jack and um, Vader. But these are the guys that help make NXT its legit own um, kind of brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, And I think what really takes this up a notch, and maybe, you know, in 10, 15 years, through the prism of history, this would be much higher. Because I know the the feud probably didn't exactly end, or the rivalry didn't exactly end at least this phase of it, how they really planned to because of Champa's injury. Yeah, but uh, I've t- I've talked about this with Steve a lot. It's like this was like a, a, a Shakespearean um, uh, wrestling story, something we don't see very often—a wrestling story with depth, where a crutch isn't just a crutch. Yeah, it's a it weapon. Me- well, it, it, it means yeah, something. Yeah. You know, like the knee brace isn't just a, a knee brace. There's meaning. I mean, there's behind symbolism it. behind it. Exactly. Each exactly. Um, and that's not something you get in wrestling storylines very often, at least not to this degree. Yeah. Um, and and the twists and turns, and, and you had Champa, who after the match at uh, NX, uh, Takeover Chicago in t- 2017, he had to go get knee surgery because he blew out his knee like two days prior to the match, suffered another injury during the match, um, and so he was gone for like eight months. Yeah. And so all while Champa was gone, Gargano was dealing with the ghost of DIY and Champa mm-hmm. and. And losing matches when Zelina Vega would throw the shirt. And that's the, the thing. They were able to keep storylines interesting because Johnny was going through such turmoil with mm-hmm. the DIY. Mm-hmm. So they were able to create angles for other wrestlers because of that. So, like, seeing Zelina, you know, being so calculated, throwing that DIY shirt, and that distracts Johnny just enough for Andrade to go out there and, you know, pick up the W or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah. And then what's awesome is Ciampa comes back. Yeah. Didn't skip a beat. They're back right in. And especially in an era where our gee, our memories and we get distracted easily and we forget something within a few mm-hmm. weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's something that they always preach is like, oh, don't worry about it. No one's ever going to remember it. They, they would say that sometimes. Hmm. This time... You can't forget it because this feud no. is so good. No. And it's, I, what, I think it's my favorite feud of this modern era. Oh, totally. It's, it's got to be up there. Yeah. Um, so uh, NXT TakeOver Philadelphia, being a 2018, following a loss to Almas for the NXT title. Uh, Gargano's up the top of the ramp with Candice LeRae. Who comes out and attacks him? The returning Tommaso Ciampa. Jacked. 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 Leaned. Oh, man. Vascular. So vascular. So vascular. <laughs> Jacked. Attacks him. Uh, shortly thereafter, Gargano wants another shot on NXT TV for the NXT title. Uh, he is convinced to put up his NXT career to get the title shot. Of course, Ciampa screws him out of the victory, costs Johnny's NXT career, which sets an unsanctioned match at uh, uh, TakeOver New Orleans. Uh, Johnny goes over, gets his job back, but then Ciampa starts to beat the hell out of Gargano, wins two more matches yeah. after that. Yeah, They have this kind of weird, somewhat alliance after Gargano uh, attacks Aleister Black, yep. seemingly turning to the dark side. Trying to com- trying to get Gargano to join, like you said, the dark side. Mm-hmm. Become a Blackheart. Yeah. Because that's, you know, Ciampa is the Blackheart. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the whole midst of that, Ciampa wins the NXT title. Um and, uh, Becoming the greatest sports entertainer. I love that. I love that. That was so good. <laughs> um, and at the turn of the year, going to 2019, you have Ciampa and Gargano seemingly on the path to some sort of reconciliation, or at least understanding now that Gargano uh, is kind of a somewhat of a heel. Um, DIY gets back together for the Dusty Classic. Uh, of course, it seems like Gargano was doing just doing that to infiltrate, get close to Ciampa so he could strike. Unfortunately, however, uh, Ciampa had to have neck surgery, had to vacate the title. So we never got that final blow-off yeah. match that would have happened at TakeOver New York this year because um, apparently Ciampa was going to have to leave after that match anyways. 
to deal with a neck injury, um, which is a bummer. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope I hope the final image of this rivalry isn't what we saw at Takeover New York with Ciampa coming to the top of the ramp after Gargano winning the title and seemingly everybody's buddy buddy and happy. Yeah. Because I feel like there's a lot more that can be done with this. I, I agree. And even when they were on Raw that briefly mm-hmm. and they were tagging, something in the back of my head was like, I don't want to see them do this because mm-hmm. they did all this work just for them to like hit each other's guts. Mm-hmm. And they're like when they when you put rea- when you take some stuff that happens in reality and you try to write it in they actually did a good job of trying to write in stuff on their friendship yeah because they even said like johnny gargano his wedding had chomp as one of his best men yeah, yeah. he was involved in everything he did he used to be roommates all that kind of roommates stuff yeah. and stuff and so it's like okay this is legit like it went from love to hate really quickly i love after the 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 chicago match where the after when the turn happened like a couple of days later, I think it was one of them posted a picture of their of an empty room that used to be Champa's room. Yeah, just kind of like doing little bits of things like that. That's that's, that's folding over reality with the storyline mm-hmm. they're telling. That was really cool. That's, they did it the right way. <laughs> oh hell yeah. yeah! Pretty much across the board, that feud was was handled masterfully. Uh, moving on though, number seven, Lita versus Trish Stratus. Um, the first match, I believe, first women's match, I believe, to ever main event episode of Monday Night Raw. Yep. Trish and Lita, um, they feuded for the better part of two years off and on. Um, but first, they began as partners. Um, they teamed up first in July 2001. You know, some of the great rivalries begin as great friendships. That, it's, that seems to be a theme. Yeah. Where they join up as a tag team of some kind. Yes. And then there's some debacle or something messes up. And mm-hmm. then there's some finger pointing and some shoving. There's a turn. There's a turn. And, and then the next thing you know. Former best friends are now bitter enemies. Yeah. Uh, so they, Lita and Trish teamed up as part of the Alliance storyline. Who wants to remember the Alliance storyline? Certainly not me. Um, eventually, though, uh, I believe in early 2002, um, I mean, it was later than that. Yeah, 2002, I think. Oh, 2003. Um, so uh, Trish had won, had been a champion by at that point. Uh, she was involved in some weird love triangle thing with Chris Jericho yeah. and Christian that I've I've watched some of the stuff. I listened to the Pritchard talk about it. Yeah, I still find it all very confusing. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I haven't listened to that. Yet. I need to check that out. It's very confusing. I think he talks about it somewhat on the. I know this happens after that. The Judgment Day 2001 mm-hmm. podcast. I want to say the the show where Jericho won both the titles. Anyways, during the course of all that, Trish turns heel. So she'd been a babyface for a while before that, um, and then you know, leaded to that whole storyline with Kane where she was pregnant. Um, after that, kind of concluded. Her and Trish really started their feud. Um, in like November 2004 um, and it was during that excuse me stretch where they had a, a title match at Survivor Series um, uh, which we, Lita lost because she's more con- more uh, concerned with beating the hell out of Trish as yeah. opposed to winning the title and on December 6th the episode of Raw uh, Lita finally defeated Trish Stratus um, to win the Women's Championship for the second time um, and you know, they wrestled on and off after that. Um, but just at that point in time, especially the mid aughts when it didn't seem like wrestling was nearly, was, wasn't really the focus of the, the women's division at that point. Uh, the two of them really held it down. Well, that's what I was going to say. You, okay. So you look at the time frame. you mm-hmm. have like what? 2001, two, yeah. all the way 2006, seven. Yeah. What the, what group of girls were probably watching Pro wrestling a lot of that time. WWE at that time. We probably had Sasha Banks. Yeah, Sasha Banks. Charlotte. Yeah, Bailey. Charlotte. Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch. Yep. The four horse women. Mm-hmm. With this feud and the way that these women were able to go at each other and like really demonstrate how talented women wrestling could be, that influenced and sparked the four horse women that helped create more girls that you see now in the indies and all over pro wrestling really want to become legit pro wrestlers mm-hmm. on um because they never broadcast this kind of stuff ever anywhere. No. So now that you know, you can see it on TV and how awesome it was, yeah. and how like two girls that legit want to learn how to become excellent, you know, sports entertainers or pro wrestlers. Yeah. It helped influence oh, the girls we yeah. have now. Hell yeah! I mean, we wouldn't have a WrestleMania main, you know, with without these two girls 
being you know headlining that one raw there yeah. there are a few we wouldn't have Becky Lynch, Charlotte and Ronda Rousey headlining WrestleMania mm-hmm. if it wasn't for them their influence the trailblazing they did yeah. yes totally them I mean, being trailblazers and not to say that like in the early aughts mid aughts they weren't great wrestlers you had Molly Holly she was awesome yeah uh, Jacqueline amazing yeah uh, uh, Victoria she was really good um, but Lita and Trish were the two stars they were the two main stars that had more. I, you know, they had more eyes on them. Well, they, they, they both were, were, I mean, Trish got, so she was pretty good in the ring. When she first started, she, she was not that great. Yeah. But, uh, she developed into a pretty good wrestler. Yeah. Lita was always a pretty good wrestler. Um, both had immense amount of charisma. Trish was good on the mic. Lita was, was good too. Um, uh, they were the two crossover stars of that yeah. division at the time. And for them to be given a platform to showcase. Their it was skills. definitely the right time and place yes. with both of them. Yes. To showcase their skills and, and, and show show that hey, the women's division in WWE at this time has some really good wrestling. Um, it's a bummer that the 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 talents in that division at the time didn't have really the showcase, the the, the spotlight they deserved on a regular basis. Because far too often they were involved in all sorts of uh, gimmick matches that yeah, usually meant they had to demean thinking. themselves. Yeah, you know, you had Trish barking like a dog to Vince, which is terrible. Uh, there's no reason she should have ever done that. Yeah, um, especially when you see the level of matches that she, she was putting on. She should have been out there showcasing her abilities as a wrestler, yeah. not barking to Vince. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that was just like really eye-rolling that these oh, girls gosh. had to endure. Mm-hmm. But in the end, they were still able to do matches and pull a lot of stuff off that influenced a lot of girls totally. to become pro wrestlers, totally. especially when it wasn't exactly something that women would want to be encouraged to do. Um, and then uh, Trisha's final match at least during her main run, was a victory over Lita um, in a championship match at Unforgiven 2006. Um, Trish and Lita both showed up periodically. Um, they were in the first Women's Royal Rumble, I believe. Kind of thought yeah. they might have challenged Sasha and Bailey at Mania this year for those women's titles. A tag titles didn't work out. Instead, it was an Italian Beth Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and the Iconics, of course. Um but uh, it still looks like either of them could still go today. Yeah, I mean, they both look great, mm-hmm. you know. I know Trish just had a kid, so that probably precluded her from yeah. wanting to make a full commitment to, uh, to to get back on the road for that program. Nonetheless, it was uh, it was great to see them back in action at the at the Royal Rumble. And I think they were both in action at Evolution. Yeah, they were at Evolution, yeah. too. Yeah. That was cool. Uh, moving on, number six. Ooh, the Freebirds, doot, 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 versus the Von Erichs. So this all started back, I believe, around 1982, um, if my memory serves me right. Uh, WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling, had a series of shows called Star Wars. <laughs> you thought that had been trademarked. Yeah. Oh, I guess not. I don't know. Or they didn't care. Um, I guess there were three of them. Uh, and this particular uh, rivalry was birthed on the Christmas Day one of these. It's a cage match between Ric Flair, Kerry Von Erich for the NWA title. You had a ref in there, but also as a special enforcer, you had one doot, 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 Michael P.S. Hayes. That's awesome. Um, there's a lot of ex- extra stuff going on. I guess Flair had like a bounty on Kerry. Anyways, so you had Michael P.S. Hayes in the ring. Flair, Kerry Von Erich, Ref, and Ringside. You got Buddy, and you got Bam Bam. Bam Bam. You got Gordy. Terry Gordy. Terry Gordy. And so, uh, I don't know why Michael Hayes. He's in there with no shirt and his jeans on. I don't remember if his jeans are tucked into his boots or if he's got like Reeboks on. I, don't I want to look good. No, do, 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 <laughs> do, no do. fanny pack, though. He did not have a fanny pack. No fanny on. pack. I'm sure he had one backstage. Probably. Um, and so he was getting really hands-on as enforcer, pulling people off pins, pushing people around. Uh, end of the match, though, Kerry Von Erich tries to escape the cage, and Bam Bam Gordy slams the door in his head. And that building was mad. Yeah. Like the, the anger inside the venue was so palpable, it felt like the venue itself was angry. It was like a volcano about to explode. That's a really bad analogy I just made. But no, I yeah, know exactly. I know exactly it, what you're it's, about. It, it's, you know, it's one of those things you watch vi- wrestling videos or from the 70s or 80s and you feel like a riot's about to break out. This was one of those instances. Yeah. Von Erichs, this was in Dallas, I think. Home turf. Huge baby faces. At the time, the Freebirds, baby faces. Huge heel turn. And it led to a rivalry that apparently spanned about a decade. Oh, um, super. And this is why, like, this is why I like Terry Gordy. 
because with his movements, he's so physical. The way he, like, he was able to just slam the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. People, because he's a big guy, people were able to see it. So that just, they just went nuts over mm-hmm. that. Like, what the, you know, crazy. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Um, and so they had several matches. We were watching one from uh, Texas Stadium, a uh, six-man tag match. Yeah. A little bit of one from uh, Texas Stadium where the Cowboys played. Yeah. Um, and, you know, back in the territory days, they weren't, in WCCW, they weren't touring the the nation. They were touring their territory, probably yeah. largely Texas. Yeah, Texas and Georgia and just those southern states. And mm-hmm. I think predominantly the Dallas area, yeah. the Sportatorium, and the Von Erichs and the Freebirds and the the various iterations, the permutations of matches that can happen between the six of them just sold out buildings on a regular basis. Oh, you have tech, the tech, you know, Von Erichs are like the first sons of Texas mm-hmm. taking on the Freebirds, who you know they're all these husky. <laughs> bastards going out there just causing yeah, all yeah, this from heat. Bad Street USA from Bad Street USA so it was it was a money making feud for Fritz Von Erich and WCCW um, I kind of lost steam I'm guessing once uh, Buddy Roberts and, and Bam Bam moved on from the Freebirds I don't really know if uh, Michael P.S. Hayes and Jimmy Garvin really ignited the same level of heat I don't, I don't think so in Dallas yeah um, as the fabulous Freebirds nonetheless um, it is one of the most legendary wrestling feuds in history and a rivalry which dominated that territory for a better part of a decade apparently they had their last match in April of 1993 so that's 11 years almost after the first encounter wow when the, the they were able started. to keep a feud going for 11 years which is like pretty unheard of. I mean, especially in today's, you know, a lot of things are just have these blow offs. But back in the territory days, they were able just to keep oh, yeah, things yeah, yeah, going, yeah, totally, and going, totally. and going. And like, it's funny we watched that Texas match. These guys had such big crowds would show up that they didn't have to do a lot just to elicit a reaction. They can just do enough, and the people would just freak out or cheer mm-hmm. or whatever. That's mm-hmm. like, man, that's like that's just taking the night off is having those kind of matches. Yeah. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, moving on, number five, Masawa versus Kawada. Uh, I think the this this rivalry, I didn't know a whole lot about the rivalry. You know about the match from 1994, uh, like the first six-star match uh, Meltzer ever had. Unless uh, unless uh, uh, Minami Toyota had a six-star. Maybe she did, I don't know. She at least had a number of five-star matches. Anyways, yeah. Um, all Japan Pro Wrestling in the early mid '90s is is really a promotion and era I need to uh, better educate myself on, because by all accounts, it was some great stuff. Yep, it's when you had Stan Hansen towards the tail end of his career there. You had Vader there. Yeah, Doctor Death. Yeah, Doctor Death. Yes, we'll get to him in a second. Um, and you had Masawa, who was a top guy there during that time after uh, uh, ditching the Tiger Mask mask. Yep. Um, and then you had Kawada, you had Kobashi, you had several other names. Um, but of course, the match we all hear of is the one that took place in 1984 for Masawa's Triple Crown. Um, but there's a lot more to it. Apparently, both these guys, both these guys, uh, have known each, knew each other going all the way back to high school. They wanted to get the business together. Um, apparently, Masawa uh, kind of got the early advantage in all, all Japan in terms of getting a bit of a push, whereas Kawada had to go to like the states and Canada, uh, do excursions and stuff to get some matches under him. He finally came back to Japan. Uh, they were putting a tag team together, um, won the titles. Uh, Kawada got his first chance at Masawa's Triple Crown in 92 at All Japan's 20th anniversary show when they were still tag team partners. He took the L, though. Um, about a year later, in 1993, tag partners no more. Things starting to get a bit chippy, from my understanding. Um, uh, again, a rematch from Masawa's Triple Crown belt. Again, Kawada takes the L. And then about a year later... Uh, June 94, we have, again, a triple crown rematch. Um, and this the six-star match. Yeah. Meltzer thought it was the best match ever until he saw Kenny and uh, Okada, I believe. Yep. Um, uh, again, Kawada took the L. Uh, finally, though, about a few months, about a month later, Masawa lost the triple crown belt to... Dr. Dusty Williams. Yep. Um, who then dropped it to Kawada shortly thereafter. Uh, but then Kawada dropped it to Stan Hansen early '95, and then Masawa uh, beat Stan Hansen in May of that year. Um, the only time Kawada ever pinned Masawa, at least during this point of their feud, was in a tag match um, when Masawa was champ again in June of '95. Um, but only about a month later, 
Quad in another one-on-one rematch, lost. Man, so Masao was just chasing Quad and trying to get a W. Other way around. Oh, the, oh yeah, that's that's why I meant. Quad was just trying to chase Masao, yeah, yeah, just yeah. getting that W. And yeah, and it seems like uh, Quad was getting more and more obsessed. Yeah, and like every time he'd get closer and closer and closer, um, but always come up short. Yeah, I've seen a good yeah. chunk of the '94 match, and it's something else. Yeah, they were working stiff back then. In no, I, I watched like, a little bit of it before we started, and like you. They were hitting hard. Yeah. And the thing is, when you have two guys that know each other really well that are friends, they're going to be a little bit harder hitting than, you know, guys that don't really know each other well. Mm-hmm. You can get away with a lot, you know, when you grow up with somebody, you're working with them in the business. you Because you can hit them harder, and then eventually, if they don't like it, they'll tell you. So these yeah. guys are going to just beat the hell out of each other. Yeah. Because they're friends. They yeah. know they know their limits, and they yeah. know how they, far they can go with each other. Totally, and if they know that if they go too far, they, it's communicating enough to worry about necessarily getting a, a, a unwanted receipt. Yep. Um, so, again, that's that's a period of wrestling that I really need to, to, to brush up on. I need to watch a lot more of that um, because, you know, thanks to the uh, the outstanding contributions of the Twitter account Larry Otto, yeah. um, I get a little bit of exposure to it, and what I, what I see is pretty awesome. Yeah. So, something I need to watch more of. So I can get more into this feud because there's probably, apparently a bunch of really good tag matches. Oh, I'm sure there's tons of stuff. Misawa, yeah. his partner in Quada and his, and there's a bunch of awesome, great stuff. So something I need to, to watch a lot more of. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Number four. Four. Of course, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. Why isn't this higher? Why didn't I put this higher? These guys legitimately hate each other they for the longest time. They do not like each other whatsoever. They might be okay with each other. I'm now, sure they're chill now. Maybe. I don't know. But Brett seems have, kind of bitter. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm not really a big fan of Shawn Michaels. You know, he's just Vince's pretty boy. Did you ever watch? They did a whole documentary called Rivalries. WB did. Just on these two. And it was after they supposedly made up when they had the hug in the middle of the ring after yeah. Brett came back. Yeah. It was still a little tense at moments between these two. There was a... I don't know if it's rivalries or not, but I mean, there's something on the network that we were watching and you just see both of them sitting next to each yeah, other that's the trying one. to explain their bits. And they're like, you know, it was horrible for us because we're around, you know, the, the dinosaur eras with the big monster men lumbering around. And then you have us two or two athletic guys trying to put on these great performances. I don't know if Brett, I don't know if Shawn Michael said that or I just figured Brett Hart said it. That sounds like something Brett would say. I think Brett said something. And then I think Shawn's like, well, you know, these monsters, you know, these dinosaurs. <laughs> so I think, uh, yeah, no, but you could tell that there was, they're still not like. They're cool, but they're, they're not going to be friends. Yeah, they're not going to be inviting. I'm sure they don't send each other Christmas cards or Probably anything. Probably not. No. Probably not. Um, as Brett would tell, they were actually friendly during their, the early part of their tenure at WWE. Um, I'm not exactly sure when things really turned south. Uh, I don't know if if Brett was really that upset that uh, Sean didn't want to drop the belt back to him as was planned for WrestleMania 13. Because the original plan for WrestleMania 13 is, of course, you know, HBK won the title at WrestleMania 12 in the yeah. great Iron Man match. Uh, kind of anointed as the new guy. But the plan was for him to drop the belt back to Brett yeah. the following year. Uh, Sean doesn't really like drop at that period of time. Didn't really like dropping belts to anybody. No, because he was super over at the time. He didn't want to yeah. lose momentum. Well, he didn't. Yeah, he didn't like losing. Yeah, that too. <laughs> it wasn't the first time he decided I'm gonna get rid of this belt without losing it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if, if it, sp- it sprung from that, but that's when things really got testy. Um, uh, the Dark Side of the Ring episode on the Montreal Screwjob does a pretty good job of detailing uh, their actual beef outside of the ring. Um, I mean, the rivalry inside the ring was great. They had a match that was really good at Survivor Series 93, I want to say, when Brett was champ. And, of course, WrestleMania 12. And then, uh, you know, Survivor Series 97, where everything came to a head. Yep. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, they, that episode of Dark Side of the Rings details the fight they had backstage where I guess they were pulling each other's hair out. Yeah. Um, where Sean went to Vince with the clump of his hair in his own hand, <laughs> complaining about Brett. Um, and you had, you had the sunny days comment yeah that uh michael's made in a promo uh alluding to the fact that well not the fact alluding that brett was having an affair with sonny yeah um which brett 
said no. Um, and, and then Brett would go and complain to Vince about that. And then you have Survivor Series 97, where Vince really wanted Brett to drop the belt to Shawn Michaels in Montreal. And now, like the legend always was, well, Brett could have showed up on Nitro the next day with the WWF title. Vince didn't want that. Therefore, yeah. screw job had to happen. Yep, yep. But in Dark Side of the Ring, and Meltzer wrote about it too in the newsletter, Brett had three weeks left on his deal. In fact, Bischoff allowed him, would allow him to stay an extra week so he could drop the belt at the next pay-per-view. Yeah. Um, so there really wasn't that danger of, like, contractually, he couldn't do it. Yeah. I guess maybe there would have been some wiggle room where Bischoff could have said, or WCW could have said the next night on, on Nitro after Survivor's 97, oh, by the way, we got WWF champion coming to, to WCW here in about a month. And maybe that would have been the source of embarrassment. Well, yeah, and the thing was, they were so open about Brett leaving. And then Brett, in his mind, with his character, he was like character. He, he wanted to keep his character so strong throughout mm-hmm. the whole time that he was down to take a pay cut. He didn't care, which meant the boys were all losing money. And he, he wanted to relinquish the title in his mind yeah. and then move on yeah. to go to you know WCW. Like, man, there are so many theories, stories, speculations. People still convinced this will work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't know Scott this. Scott Hall was like, he thinks it's a work. Oh, still does? Yeah, still I, thinks Earl Hebner still thinks it's a work, and he yeah. was in the ring. Yeah. Um, apparently, uh, I can't remember if Melser mentioned this or was in Dark Side of the Ring. Brett had um, uh, creative control for the last 30, 60 days in the company. So he was well within his right to not drop the belt to Sean. Yeah. And yeah. whether... You know, we, we I'm, I'm sure it was it was several reasons why he didn't want to do it. You know, we'd always heard that he didn't want to do it in Montreal, in Canada, because he didn't want to. He didn't want to lose my, in his home country. I didn't want to assassinate my character. You know, yeah. um, despite the fact there's all sorts of screwy finishes you could have done. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. Not any, any for the longest time, it, it just seemed like Brett was being really stubborn about just not wanting to drop the belt. But you hear he had time left on his deal. You heard that he had he was granted creative control. His last sixty or thirty days, um, based on his contract. Yeah, I mean, it's within his rights. Yeah, if it's in this deal. I mean, you would hope that you wouldn't want to let personal beef get in the way of business. But if contractually he, he has that right, he had that right. Yeah, you know. I mean, at the end of the day, it's 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 pro wrestling. And he he definitely tried to exercise that. Oh, right. he definitely did. He tried. He definitely did. Yeah. Um, so after the screw job, you know, unsurprisingly, Brett even held a, a larger grudge against Shawn Michaels. Um, when they brought Brett back in, it seemed like he and Shawn, they had them in the ring. That was actually fairly touching. When they seemed like they patched things up. Yeah. At least, you know, because by that point, you know, Shawn had to retire, came back, found God, uh, seemingly a changed man, um, not as immature as what he was at the time uh, when all this stuff happened. So uh, it it, it seems like they kind of, again, patch things up so they can be cordial, but no Christmas cards probably. Yeah, probably no Christmas cards. No calls on birthdays. (laughs) No, I'm sure they don't text each other. How are you doing? Doubtful. Doubtful. Maybe, uh, yeah, no. Mm -mm. No, not at all. I'll be surprised. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. Let's go to number three. Three. Sting versus Ric Flair. This is kind of the, uh, the feud that carried WCW through the 90s. Um, you had the the icon of the old NWA days in Ric Flair versus the franchise in Sting. Um, feud kicked off in uh, March of '88, the very first clash of the champions. March '88. That go against this. That go went against WrestleMania, I think. I think so. Yeah. Um, was the main event match ended in a 45 minute draw, time limit draw, but it made Sting a massive star in the process. The fact that he was in the ring with the legendary Ric Flair. He wrestled to a draw for 45 minutes. Yeah, jeez. It's one of those. T- like back then, you could wrestle a draw and you'd be like a huge thing. Yeah, it'd be like this guy couldn't get pinned, couldn't get submitted. Yeah, didn't get count out. He was able to hold his own against you know the champ, the greatest of all time. The greatest of all time, arguably at that point. Um, but this is interesting. Apparently, there was ringside judges for this match. Oh my god, they couldn't decide on a finish. We don't know who won. We don't know who won. <laughs> is that what the judges said? We don't know who won. We don't know. It was won. such a good match. It was so good. It's back and forth. Um, so Sting went off and did some tag team stuff for a while. Uh, started doing uh, solo stuff again the following year. Um, and then on New Year's Day, I guess 1990, um, oh, sorry, 1989, 
He kicked off his 89 with by a wrestling flair to a one-hour time limit draw on New Year's Day. Um, and then there's in 1989, man, Sting was kind of gullible storyline-wise because um, he got swerved by Flair a lot. First time in 89, um, you had Sting. Uh, he's getting kind of uh, recruited by the now face horseman. Yep. Um, he joins them. Uh, and then uh, there's a tournament at Starcade determine a new number one contender to the NWA title. Sting wins that. Flair tries to convince Sting, don't take the title shot. You don't need to do that. You know, horsemen, all that kind of stuff. Sting's <laughs> like, no, I'll take the title shot. And then uh, at Clash of Champions 10, uh, the horsemen, unsurprisingly, turn on Sting. Um, and later in the night, so there's a, a cage match that has Gary Hart International versus a horseman. Uh, Sting, I believe, tries to climb up the cage and jacks up his leg. He's out for five months. Um, he comes back uh, 1990, um, and he finally beats Flair for the NWA title uh, July 7th, 1990. Um, I believe it was around this period where RoboCop became involved yeah, in yeah. the storyline. Um, where he broke the cage. Yeah. 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 Because you know who replaced Sting in The Horseman? Sid. Sid. And so Sting brought RoboCop in. Because the only man that can match Sid's strength was a cyborg, a human genetically cyborg. Murphy, man. Robocop. Murphy. Robocop. Um, but I had I, forgotten about this part. So during Sting's uh, run as champ, there was the Black Scorpion yeah. going after him, <laughs> haunting him, <laughs> messing with him. And like, a year, like in January of 91, uh, Sting beat Black Scorpion, unmasked him, and it was just Ric Flair. Yeah. It was just Ric Flair. That's awesome. Um, but that happened again in 95. Again, uh, 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 Flair and Sting um, are tagging in a match. Uh, Flair gets the hot tag from Sting. Uh, rather than go after Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson, who are their opponents, he turns around. This is actually great. He gets the tag. He gets in the ring, does a U-turn, and just starts attacking Sting. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually a really funny swerve. Um, horsemen are back. You got Benoit, Flair, Arn, Brian Pillman throwing up the four. Um, it's a pretty fun. It's a pretty fun swerve. Um, it really is the the rivalry that defined WCW. That's what I was gonna say because this spanned from 1988 all the way to 1995. Well, you take it all the way to 2001, the final night of the last yeah, match. Yeah, exactly. So Sting versus Flair. Sheesh, man! Like over 10 plus years, mm -hmm. these guys have been going at it, and yeah, they they're like the main catalyst that really carried WCW in this feud, mm -hmm. and like getting the four horsemen involved is incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I wonder how much that, uh, at least in the early 90s, that, that, that was Dusty booking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I yeah. think he was the one that brought in RoboCop. Yeah. Genius move. Absolutely genius move by Dusty. So, so we're going to do, baby. I'm going to go get the RoboCop. Big, huge movie blockbuster, baby. The crowd, they're going to see it. They're going to love it. They're all going to cheer for RoboCop. Dang, he's going to go out there and save you. going to rip open that cage. You can go out there and kick Flair there up and down the place. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. <laughs> It's genius. I have right here. You know what? I've, I've, I can't remember if, where we heard this. But we were led to believe that was maybe actually the real world, like actually Peter Weller. Peter Weller in full gimmick. That's what I heard. That could have been. We've never got confirmation. I mean, it's hard to tell. With, he's got his I distinguishable know. lower mouth hat. I know. But I mean, obviously, RoboCop isn't what made this feud great. It's just a really funny Excuse me, Cal? Really? Was, <laughs> is that what really? You, the RoboCop thing's big? Let me is think. It? This wasn't RoboCop 1, so you're right. If this was around the time of RoboCop 1, then I would say RoboCop kicks over the edge. Yeah. Because RoboCop 1 is a brilliant movie. Oh, it's awesome. I love RoboCop 1. <laughs> I just remember the other one, the sequels weren't that great. Oh, no. The third one is horrible. Yeah. The second one is disturbing. The third one is absolutely horrible. I mean, hell, you had uh, Red getting getting killed by RoboCop. Yeah, from... I know. <laughs> I know. That was 87 was the first one. So this is the second one. Yeah. Really, you shouldn't be having a promotional tie in between RoboCop 2 and any sort of vaguely family-friendly entertainment. Yeah. That second RoboCop movie is so messed up. It, it's horrible. It's brutal. It is brutal. But you know what? RoboCop was selling a lot of toys at that time. So Apparently, there's a cartoon then. It, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've seen... Um, I don't know why we're talking about RoboCop. Because is RoboCop's it, awesome. Is it that important? Okay. Oh, yeah. RoboCop 1 is one of my 10 favorite movies maybe ever. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. It's up there. Was what's the saying that Robocop says to the bad guys? Get down or punk or something like that. Uh, well, there's dead or alive. You're coming with me. Yeah, 
Yeah, your move, punk. Yeah, that's the one. Your yeah. move, punk. Yeah, that's awesome. Gosh, it was so good. Man, that's a great movie. <laughs> anyway, instead of talking about RoboCop more, let's talk about number two here: Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, I know uh, Tanahashi is generally credited credited with uh, bringing New Japan out of the doldrums it was in in the early mid aughts when he started uh, his ascendance to ace. Um, I believe in the like 2007-ish, I want to yeah. say. Um, but what really brought New Japan back was the feud between Okada and Tanahashi, which kicked off uh, after Wrestle Kingdom in 2012. So uh, Tanahashi successfully defended the IWGP heavyweight title against Minoru Suzuki in the main event. The following night in New Year's Dash, uh, Okada returns from uh, excursion in, in uh, TNA Impact and challenges... Tanahashi to a match at New Beginning. That's after really horrible booking yes. from TNA Impact. I mean, Okada's essentially... I mean, he'd wrestled in New Japan before I go, before, prior to going to an excursion, but he's yeah. essentially... He's like kind of a rookie at this point. Yeah. In terms of the Rainmaker gimmick. You yeah. Know? Um, well, actually, he'd been around for about a year wrestling on and off. Cause like, he did have a match at a, at a, that Wrestle Kingdom against Yoshihashi. Yeah. His, for, his current stablemate. So sorry, the time frame's a little mixed up. So he'd been around for about a year. But, you know, he, it wasn't as if he was necessarily pushed to the moon yet. So he got a year of seasoning under his belt. Um, and then he steps up to the ace, Tanahashi, in 2012 at, at uh, New Year's Dash and says, I'm challenging you. And at New Beginning in February, he beats him. He beats That's the crazy. ace. He beats the ace. Yeah. And, and I know people have said a lot that Jay White got his opportunity way too quick. I was going to say, I think, it sounds like Okada got his way, especially after – Coming back, only putting a year's work and then challenging yeah. the the champ, yeah. Tanahashi, that's insane. I know, it is pretty crazy. But the the the, the first year and a half post-excursion um, uh, careers of both Jay White and Okada, up until me, Jay White dropping the belt, um, kind of run parallel in yeah, ways. Yeah, they're similar. So in terms of story beats, it's kind of interesting. Um, and so these two guys would f- have been feuding for the better part of seven years. Um, I think they've had like more than well over 30 matches against one another. Oh, that's crazy. Um, they've made a event of Wrestle Kingdom three times. Yeah. Um, since 2012. Um, uh, during Okada's last title run, not the current one, the one prior, he basically broke every record Tanahashi had set in relation to IWGP championship reign, uh, t- uh, the title, except for one number of reigns. Um, I think Tanahashi has eight at this point. Um, but you have arguably the two greatest champions in New Japan history involved in a, a constant back and forth with one another. Um, and it's probably going to be that way until they, until Tanahashi retires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for a while earlier, earlier this year, um, they were teaming tag teaming yep. against each other or with each other to take on bullet club. Um, after Jay white swerved chaos, joined bullet club. Um, and they just had a fantastic match. Uh, at the opening night of the G1 in Dallas this past weekend. First time New Japan's ever had a match, or they the G1 or whatever. It's been in the States, yeah. In the States. And what's cool is that Okada said, this is the first time, but this won't be the last that's time. That's great. That's awesome. That's great. And that's cool that they were able to carry their feud from Japan over to the States. Mm-hmm. Like That's amazing. And people were super into it. Yeah. Absolutely super into it. Number one, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock. Yes. The uh, the feud that defined the Attitude Era, uh, the feud that really got me really got me into wrestling, uh, and the feud that probably made WWF more money than anything else. The feud that, but uh, you know, if this is the feud that you can, people always say who's your, who's on your Mount Rushmore. They always say Austin, but who was able to go against Austin to create a larger than life character? The Rock, totally. And the Rock is so. Dang, he's still he's still he's iconic right now. He's oh yeah, still like top movie star in the top world. movie star in the world. So these two guys feuding, yeah, like they were the Attitude Era, like they were awesome. Yeah, um, they apparently first started feuding for the Intercontinental Title. I think late '97, and Pritchard was talking about it on his podcast where, um, so o- or uh, Stone Cold had a match against Owen. Owen dropped him on his head. Stone Cold hurt his neck. Uh, when he was cleared to return, he got the belt back. And one of Austin's first feuds, I believe, heading into nine, late 97, early 98, was supposed to be against Farouk, who at the head was, who at the time, sorry, was the leader of the, the Nation of Domination. Yep. However, they noticed that The Rock was gaining a lot of steam. And so they, uh, they changed course and decided to do 
the Austin Rock feud instead. I, I think this is the time when Austin like threw the belt into the river and yeah, stuff. There was yeah. a lot of great back and forth between the two of them. Their promos and their segments oh, alone were so damn interesting mm-hmm. and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, Austin just gave The Rock the belt. He didn't lose it. Um, of course, Austin would go and win the Royal Rumble, the title from HBK at WrestleMania yeah. 14. Um, but it seemed like all through 1998, they were running on parallel courses to be like 1A and 1B. You had Austin as champion shooting against Kane, Undertaker. Um, I think he was hurt for part of the year. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the end of the year up into the Rumble. Of course, his feud with McMahon. Which so much of the McMahon feud was tied into the feud with The Rock. So yeah, because they, they made uh, The Rock one of his like the corporate guys. corporate champion. Yeah, yeah. It's Survivor Series '98, best pay per view ever. And so you have The Rock as the Intercontinental Champion. He had a really good feud with uh, Triple H over the course of '98. Really helped to build him up. Yep. And uh, uh, so by the time by the time Survivor Series rolls around, um, yeah, you, you have Stone Cold in the tournament, Deadly Games tournament. You have Foley. You have The Rock. The Rock is had basically been forced to be a face at this point. Crowd loves him because he's so damn entertaining. Yeah. Of course, Austin's still top guy. And then you have Foley, who who is being manipulated to kind of be the corporate champ or the corporate guy, seemingly. Yeah. Um, and then when they have that massive swerve at the end of Survivor Series 98 where The Rock turns heel again um, and becomes the corporate champ, uh, then you Stone Cold has his foil for the basically the next five years, his yeah. primary rival. Yep. Um, so they face at Mania 15, main event, Stone Cold goes over. They would face the main event of WrestleMania 17, and uh, the second to last match, WrestleMania 19, was Stone Cold's last match. Yeah. Um, and they faced each other several times in various other configurations um, as well. Um, just when you get these two guys in the ring with mics in their hands, it's electric. Yeah. And also, these two guys help win the Monday Night Roar, or yeah. War yeah. between them and WCW. So these guys having such a hot feud was able to create more buzz for the WWE mm-hmm. at the time where it was losing so much steam. And it was becoming must-see TV because these two guys are going at it yeah. so hard. Yeah, totally. And now they're still super well known as you know the top entertainers around oh, austin yeah. has his new show and then the rock is like you said the number one movie star it's crazy it, and they're still relevant oh totally yeah yeah insane yeah stone cold has that uh what's that new show he has straight on up with straight up with steve austin straight up steve austin that's yeah. right um there's some other uh ones that almost made the list uh probably tops among them was undertaker and kane yeah thought about putting it on putting that on yeah uh, because that's a long-lasting rivalry, and that falls in with the Attitude Era. Totally. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, there's there's not really a a, 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 a defining match. Everybody, I mean, like the defining moment you think of that is yeah. when Kane rips the cage off Hell in a Cell. That was his debut too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like they had their first match at WrestleMania of fourteen was all right. Yeah. But, but you know you don't really have uh, that moment. It doesn't feel like um, following the death of Pero Agoyo. Um, apparently his, his, I, I read a lot about his feud with El Santo. Yeah. Um, and how, uh, I think it was one of El Santo's later feuds. Yeah. Um, but apparently it was pretty huge. Oh, I'm sure that, especially in Mexico at that time, mm-hmm. it's probably insane. So those just barely missed the cut, but yeah. I want to get, give a mention as well. Um, so many great feuds throughout the history of pro wrestling. Yeah. I mean, there's tons. I mean, this list doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just kind of our opinions. Yeah, it's kind of our opinions. Yeah. Um, also, one that's kind of funny, uh, Larry, Larry Zabisco and Bruno yes. San Martino. <laughs> I don't know if this is true, but Steve said to me that the whole way that Bruno, or sorry, that Larry got into pro wrestling is he wandered into Bruno's backyard. Yeah. And started talking to him. I, I could see that happening. I, I've met Larry Zabisco many times. I know him. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, he. I could see that being the case. We just, just wandered into somebody's in, backyard. And wanders somehow in his backyard. Becomes and, a, well, at the time, like, Larry Zabisco was pretty jacked. Yeah. Like, he... It, he would talk to us about how much he could bench press and he'd brag about it. But then you're looking at him now. You're like, dude, you're like this skinny old man. There's no yeah. like, but I'm sure back then, you know, he was, Bruno was willing to train him and make yeah, him yeah. his underling. Yeah. And yeah, they, they were definitely mentor and protege until Zabisco turned on. Yeah. In the late seventies. So apparently that was a good uh, feud for WWE or WWF at the time. Yeah. Anyways, that does it for us. Let us know what your favorite rivalries in the pro wrestling world are. Yeah, please. Um, And uh, in the comments. And until next time, we will see you later. Goodbye.
Be a part of Going In Raw today at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Starting at $1 a month, you can enjoy Going In Raw ad-free, gain access to the daily 30-minute Going In Raw post-show, exclusive merchandise, and so much more. Support Going In Raw today. Click the link in the description. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly. Which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.